0: Hi everyone welcome to the let's talk recovery and family podcast my name's Jack hope everyone is doing well thanks for coming and listening this session's called starting to identify the concerns so we're talking about the moment when family realizes there's an issue with an addicted family member versus getting just barely getting to the conversation of Treatment, because you never know if it's going to be a good idea to just hit them with, get into treatment. That can sometimes backfire, and usually by the time you get there, there's been some other fallouts. You know, by the time the family notices there's some issues, there's been some things going on, uh, things being stolen, not coming home, disappearing for days on end. That kind of thing. Starting arguments at home for no apparent reason, right? There's there's certain sorts of um, characteristics about alcoholics and addicts um, that tend to come up when they're under the influence or when they're craving. Actually, a lot of that irritability can come when they're coming down, right? The body's needing or wanting said drug said alcoholic beverage whatever their favorite drink of choice is but the point is sometimes That's when some of The arguing can present itself some of the stress Can present itself so starting to identify Concerns Let me start with the treatment models. I won't go into any detail about those, but there's things that the addict learns versus the struggles. Remember in the last session I mentioned um, corrections, the safe P I mentioned 28 day residential treatment, intensive outpatient treatment, and even medication assisted treatment. Right. And one thing that I tend to get asked a lot since I've worked in all of these areas um, is how long does it take? And that is usually from a family member. I get family members that say, you look, you got them for 28 days, I need you to fix them. Well, there's really not any, any fixing going on. Um, that's just one, one real unrealistic expectation. Um, there's not a fixing. Because as some people can tell you, this can be a long journey can be a long journey between going to treatment episode one then to two then to three then maybe four right and then let's say there's several years in between it can be a long journey so having to decide which one of those works best for you and your addicted family member can be a struggle of course if you're dealing with the ones with Corrections sometimes the options taken away from you, but how long does it take? You know, I don't really have an answer for that. I've done this for 15 years and even when I worked in corrections, those are sometimes six month stenches, right? Six months up to one year incarceration, drug and alcohol treatment on a per 20 person caseload. I had a couple of re-offenders that were on their second treatment episode in the corrections facility. It's difficult to tell. I've had people in 28-day residential treatment come once and flourish after the first treatment episode, but I've also seen people come back two and three times in residential treatment with outpatient treatment with outpatient treatment. I've seen people go through the course. Some of those are uh, 90 days. Some of them are 120 days, depending on if they're involved in the court system and they have to meet certain stipulations for the court. And, you know, there's a whole lot of other little details like, like that, that may come into play, but I've seen people flourish do 90 days. And outpatient treatment, which is very difficult because they come into those group times, whether they're in the morning or in the evening, but the rest of the day they're out dealing with their normal run of the mill obstacles, work stress, family stress. And so, if someone can make it in outpatient treatment, they're doing great. They're doing great. Medication assisted treatment. Uh, you've seen people fall off and come back. I quit too early. Or I should have have stayed longer, right? They'll come in, and usually that one does take a little bit longer because you want to go through the stages of getting stable, right? Getting life back on track, getting the stressors between you and the family kind of washed over if possible. And then at some point you do look at titration coming off of those medications. That could be a year. That could be two years. That could be longer. Some people, once they find this whatever it is, you can call it a niche, that helps them get back on track, get full-time jobs, make good money, reestablish family relationships, some of them are afraid to let that medication go. And no, it does not cause the same euphoric high. Some people say, you're just trading one drug for another. That's not necessarily true, right? They're not in an altered state. And if somebody's been on the medication for three years and they own their own business or they're in management, come on now, something's working. Something's working. When there's restoration and family, employment, you know, don't knock the medication. But all in all, I have to say the main ingredient is Addiction has to be self-diagnosed, so to speak. Self-diagnosed. The whole family could know. Two cars could be wrecked. Things stolen for years. Relationship wrecked. Right? Blown through two marriages. Whatever. But until the alcoholic or addict can say, I've got a problem. Then it just tends to keep going, has to be self-diagnosed, right? The problem with that is the alcoholic or addict tends to be the last one to know. People all the way up to great-grandpappy can be telling you, little boy, you got a problem. But until you see it, and until you hit that A lot of people like to call it a rock bottom. You know, rock bottom is not the same for everybody. It's not the same depth for everybody. To me, rock bottom is that last consequence you're willing to endure. Some people only got to go to jail once and they find themselves getting clean and sober. Some people go to jail two or three times Lose three cars, three wives, a house, a boat, right? Those are the hard headed ones. Not everybody's rock bottom is the same. Self diagnosed. A lot happens before step one. And step one, I'm talking mainly about the Alcoholics Anonymous step one. Can't believe we're powerless and unmanageable, right? A lot happens before the alcoholic an addict can even get to that point. We're not even in treatment yet. And a lot of things have happened, but family members, I need you to know that in most cases, it's their heart's desire. I mentioned it before. It's their heart's desire to get right. Nobody likes to have their kids taken away. Nobody likes to have their family members ignore them. And those kinds of things create more stress, more shame, more guilt, which sort of sends this perpetual thing in motion. And it's circle, right? They call it the revolving door. When family curses and shuns, that makes it more difficult. Not that we're blaming the family here, each an alcoholic and addict's got to own, got to own their business. But those kinds of things don't even help. Step one: the breakdown, family view versus the attic view. For step one, powerlessness and unmanageability. Again, the family has been aware of this for months or years. This first step is like stepping off a cliff for an addict. If you can picture that, having to admit. All our own wrongdoing is not easy. Heck, even sober people have a problem with that. Even sober people have a problem with that. Going to another family member or friend and owning a wrongdoing, especially if it was something committed to that person, something done to that person, Come on now. It's a lot to ask. And when you're talking to someone who's masked their own emotions. And have covered up all the anxiety of dealing with life on life's terms. You want to jump right into having them own all their powerlessness and unmanageability. It's not easy. It is not easy. So in this session i'm going to introduce some of the curriculum i like to use uh, when working um, in an actual treatment setting i'm introducing the living in balance curriculum i gave a short list in the last session about some of the topics that are in this curriculum it works great lots of good exercises lots of good questions that spark a lot of thinking which hopefully in turn creates a lot of healing right so we'll dive into some of what it says about drug abuse what is drug abuse it is the use of mood-altering drugs that interfere with or has a negative effect on a person's life this can include a negative effect on a person's physical, psychological, social, legal, emotional, occupational, and educational well-being. Well, that's a lot of areas to check off. Physical and psychological. We get that. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of meth-induced psychosis or alcohol-induced psychosis, right? Those things are very real. Social. Sometimes you give up your good friends for the bad friends, right? You give up those good friends for the bad friends because they're not doing what you do. And then there's legal. Everybody knows what that is. You get into legal trouble, right? Whether they're drug charges or DUI, um, a lot more uh, family violence when there's intoxicants in play right a lot more family violence emotional such an emotional roller coaster when you're ambivalent about getting clean and sober and taking on those feelings that you've been masking versus masking them and trying to move on with your life you can't have it both ways you can't have it both ways occupational really You're not going to be able to hold it together if emotional is one of the boxes checked on the influences of drugs and alcohol. Educational, kids are smoking pot in high school, come on. You should research that. You talk about a hindrance on the brain functioning even without intoxicants the brain's still growing until you're about 24 25 years old so at 14 we're gonna throw marijuana in the mix some kids start drinking at that age it's n- not a wonder of why we can see why notice that in this definition it uses the phrase mood-altering drugs these drugs include chemicals right They're substances some in cases they're medicines. That changes a person's mood or feeling. There are some medications out there, opiates, pain medication, benzodiazepines. Right? Those are the kinds of things that you don't just stop. There's a lot of withdrawal, a lot of medical issues can occur. People have benzos who stop cold turkey have seizures a lot like alcoholics right there's some medical reasons for why people can't just stop cold turkey so you have to be careful and be safe there's a little nugget be careful be safe if you're using opiates alcohol benzos that kind of stuff um, try to refrain from stopping cold turkey the withdrawals are nasty there are three major types of mood-altering drugs there's stimulants depressants and hallucinogens. And of course, some people like to mix them. That's crazy. Crazy. Drug abuse describes a relationship between the drug and the drug user that creates dysfunction and negative consequences. Think back. Think back to a bad breakup. This is for you, family. Think back to when you had a bad breakup. All the emotions that were stirred up, the heartbreak, the anxiety surrounding that uh, that situation. Why is there those things? Because there's such a spiritual mind, will, emotions so connected to that person. You're in love. You're in love. I'm not trying to romanticize drugs and alcohol. But for some addicts, that breakup is the same. The breakup is the same. You're asking them to end this love affair that in a sick way, in a very sick way, has been there for them through thick and thin, through their trials of life. It's very difficult, very difficult. This is why drug abuse is defined as the use of mood altering drugs. That interferes with or has a negative effect on a person's life, on a person's life. So in the beginning, we want them to own all the things they've done And we want to, in some cases, rush them right into treatment. Which, you know, if it's an emergency, it's probably not a bad idea. Probably not a bad idea. But if you do a whole lot of push, 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 that person's not going to be receptive. I feel like part of the reason why there is a revolving door, episode one, episode two, third episode in treatment is because the first one, maybe even the second one was influenced by family. Maybe they're just wanting to get in the good graces of family again. So they go through the motions. Maybe it's the core system giving them a strong, (laughs) a strong nudge um, to get into treatment. And that's, kind of what happens they get in there with all the wrong intentions all the wrong intentions and so they're not listening right they kind of were pounding their high chair lid all the way into treatment right I think that's one of the reasons why there's such a revolving door and why some alcoholics and addicts don't get to their second, third, fourth, and maybe even in some cases, their fifth treatment attempt. Here's a question. How has the use of alcohol or other drugs messed up your life? That's a question that an alcoholic or an addict is gonna have to answer. Here we go again, trying to unmask these layers. We need for you to point out how it's affected you And why you've done all the wrongdoing you've done. That's not easy, family. That's not easy. How has the use of alcohol or other drugs messed up your life? That is a broad question. Broad question. And there's going to have to be some deep-seated answers for that question. Right? So we're asking these guys, to take the plunge. Another question. This is, uh, by the way, a couple of my found in the Living in Balance um, curriculum. How has the use of alcohol or other drugs messed up your family life? Okay, hold on. So now we want to talk about first how they messed up your life, and this is one of the first exercises, mind you. The second question right out of the gate, how has the use of alcohol or other drugs messed up your family life? Can anyone actually map that out? It's going to take a lot of soul searching to figure that out. This is where the family comes in, right? Instead of going, oh, you did this and you did that. That'll answer that question. Be more supportive, be a little more supportive. I'm not saying to coddle part of the reason why alcoholics and addicts stay alcoholics and addicts for so long is because of the coddling. People tend to give them what they want to avoid the fights. That's not good either. You don't do that with a toddler. Some people do that with a toddler. I've seen that happen a time or two just to get them to quit screaming, right? You get them that chocolate candy bar, right? Every time they wake up, they're screaming, let's find a snack, let's find a meal, let's find some chocolate, right? And then you wonder why at 14, 15 years old, this kid's obese. why this kid is working his butt off to work his butt off. Because every time there's this payoff, right? Oh man, here we go, connecting food to addiction. There's this payoff and the brain records it. Wow, wow wow he's crying on the floor. Bam, there's the candy bar. In some weird little way it becomes a healer settles the mood makes him better right come on now for some people it's pizza anybody eat? family members eat your feelings what is addiction addiction can be described as a primary chronic and in some cases disabling condition with genetic psychosocial and environmental factors influencing its development and outcome not that i want to blame the hood but there's so many single moms out there struggling so many out there struggling and all their kids have right around them is ugly it's ugly and all of a sudden, a little dealer down the street's got some shiny new things. You have to be careful, especially when you live in low income housing or live in those scenarios where there's a lot of bad going on in your neighborhood. Doesn't always have to be low income housing. I've seen some nice neighborhoods have some stuff going on. It involves the compulsion, loss of control and continued use despite negative consequences. Despite negative consequences. It's a crazy thing. You know that the possibility of someone leaving you, turning their back on you, could very well happen if they catch you drinking and drugging, stealing money out of their purse, wallet, hawking some of their stuff, You know there's a big possibility for things like that to happen, but we do it anyway. That's the compulsion behind the addict thinking. What does primary condition mean? Addiction can be a primary condition. It means that the addiction is not simply the symptom of some other problem such as the psychological disorder. In other words, people are not addicted to alcohol or other drugs simply because the drug makes them less depressed or anxious. They may, that may be why some people start using alcohol or drugs, but once the addiction begins, it becomes the primary disorder that must be treated for years and years and years, lots of doctors and treatment places have kind of had that argument. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Some people don't know, most people don't know. Was it mental health issues that sort of stirred this up? Or are the mental health issues a result of the drug and alcohol use? It's one of those questions that will forever need an answer. I can tell you this, with mental health issues, those people tend to be more apt to turn to drugs and alcohol as medication. Um, It just is not right or wrong. Um, it's cheaper. Main people start taking pain pills. Then the doctor says no. Then they're buying pain pills off the street. Somebody says, hey, by the way, heroin's cheaper, right? And it's just a snowball thing. It's just a snowball thing. But it happens. It happens. So hopefully, some of those little nuggets I've shared with you today will help you. If you have questions, Find a counselor around you maybe. Um, Don't be afraid to ask a doctor. Um, Nothing I talked about was severely medical um, or deep medical. Um, It's just the beginning stages of even contemplating um, treatment and some of the difficulties um, in the preparation for that. We haven't even talked about what happens next, Um, but we'll go through those things a little at a time. Um hopefully in our next session, uh, we'll be able to hit some more on those uh, next sessions, insight and self-diagnosis. And we'll go over some of these things again. And I got some more information for you. So I appreciate you guys hanging out with me again. My name is Jack. It's been a way cool talking to you. And I hope I answered some questions for you. I know it's kind of difficult to have this one-sided conversation. But have a good day. And until the next time, I will see you then. Appreciate it and have a good day.